show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm flying solo today. I'm a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Some exciting things happening in New York City. Uh, We have a new mayor uh, elected uh, as a Democrat. He took office on uh, January 1st. He's a retired NYPD captain, and he's also uh, the the former Brooklyn Borough president. Now, the city is really recovering uh, from many things. And one of the things it's recovering from is eight years of this uh, de Blasio, who was, many people agree that he was the worst mayor in New York City history. And he took a city that was the safest large city in America and turned it into uh, just, you know, a, a city with homeless people sleeping all over the place, the subways occupied by an occupying army of homeless people, crime ticking upward. Uh, 500 murders for the first time in over 10 years. So a lot of people are expecting uh, good things from uh, Eric Adams. And specifically, if you don't have public safety, you don't have anything. And that's the most important thing. And Eric Adams, let's face it, he knows he was an NYPD officer for 20 years. He knows the blueprint is there. The blueprint is there to bring public safety. He was brought up to the 2-5 precinct the other night in East Harlem. Uh, an officer working the Times Square detail, had to, he got off at 2.30 in the morning. He went back to his command, the 2-5 precinct, on 119th Street, and he there was no room in the dorm, so he chose to sleep in his car in the parking lot of the precinct. And someone fired a shot at the back window of his car, and it struck him in the head. So Eric Adams and his the whole entourage of the police department went up to the 2-5 precinct. I'm going to play a little file tape of, of what he said. Um, we'll share the screen. And it's encouraging in a way, but we've, we've, heard, this, we've heard this before, um, that, you know, public officials have promised us safety, and then... Uh, They didn't deliver, but we're hoping that Eric Adams will deliver because he does know uh, policing. He does know how to police this city and what's needed to make a safe city. So let me put him on the screen, and we'll hear what he had to say. We'll see if it's encouraging at all. Uh, I am uh, Mayor Eric Adams, and I'm joined here by members of the police department, uh, Commissioner Sewell, First Deputy uh, Commissioner Caban and a longtime advocate on behalf of police officers, the union president, the PBA, uh, Pat Lynch. Uh, We are uh, truly uh, happy but angry. Uh, We're happy to see that Keith, after performing a duty late last night, resting to start another day tour while in his car was struck by a bullet. We're happy when I sat down and visited him in his room. Uh, I reminded him that sometimes it's a good thing to have a hard head like Pat Lynch and Eric Adams because the doctors did an amazing job. We wanna thank Dr. Sharma and Dr. Greenfield Uh, for doing an amazing job uh, to ensure that this officer received the best medical care as possible. And as I looked at Crystal, his wife, 
I knew that this could have turned out differently. I knew that a bullet, when it strikes an individual, it does not stop its path. It con continues to rip apart the anatomy of a family and a community. We must not only find the gun, but we must find the person who discharged the weapon, and we must find those who believe they're going to destroy our city with gun and gang violence. That is not going to happen. That bullet struck Keith, but it could have struck any person or individual that was walking through the streets. And I am clear on my mission to aggressively go after those who are carrying violent weapons in our city. And I'm going to be undetermined and aggressive by doing so. The commissioner and I and this team of law enforcement personnel across the city, mission one is to deal with the gun violence in our city. You don't start bringing in the new year with bringing in violence. It's unacceptable. And I made that clear on the campaign trail and I'm going to live it out as the mayor of the city of New York. We will find those who are carrying guns and we will make sure that they are removed off our streets. This is a horrendous act that took place to have a shooting of this magnitude while resting to go back to perform duties to protect our city. And so I'm here with the department and the people of this city that are concerned about the overproliferation of guns in our city. We're tired of the continuous violence that are being perpetrated by a number of people who believe we're going to live in a state of disorder. We're not going backwards. We're not going to live in a state of violence, in a state that gun violence is a normality in the city of New York. And so I want to turn it over to the police. Tough talk, you know, talk that we've wanted to hear, talk that has, uh, under Mayor de Blasio, has just been a lot of rhetoric and no action. Now, if Eric Adams is really serious about combating gun crime, there's many things that he has to do. Number one, he has to bring back plainclothes units, anti-crime. He's talking about a plainclothes gun unit. There's a first step. We definitely need that. And what we also need is we need a mayor that. Um, backs up the police. Now, Eric Adams is a smooth talker. You heard him talk there. He's promising this. He's promising a safe city. He's promising going after the thugs that are carrying guns. He's, prob he's promising going after gun crime. He was a, uh, I think, I believe he started out in transit. I don't know, think he was ever an active street cop. I think he was more of a, um, he started an activist unit when he was on the police department called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. So he was an activist. However, he did do 20 years on the police department, and he knows how the machine works. And he knows for the NYPD to work, people have to support the NYPD. And the politicians have to allow the NYPD to do their job. What, what does that mean? One of the things it means is that you got to bring back and back up officers that uh, do stop, question, and frisk. The only way to get guns off the street is through stop, question, and frisk. You can't just give lip service that, oh, we're going to get those guns off the street through search warrants. How are you going to do it? you got to stop the people carrying the guns. In addition, uh, you have to do car stops. And there's been uh, some reports lately of uh, they want to keep an ongoing record of who almost like a stop, question, and frisk report on the numbers and the, the race and the ethnicity of the people and the, uh, the sex of the people who have been stopped in these car stops. Is that encouraging officers to make car stops, or is that putting the onus on them that it's not what they observe, but it's going to be dealt with in, on a, in a racial matter? Like who, how many white people have you stopped? How many black people have you stopped? The reason car stops are made and and they they escalate up to a point where an officer can do a search of a car, a search of an individual, is maybe they don't have a driver's license. Maybe they don't have insurance. Maybe they 
see something in the car that looks suspicious. That can all raise the ladder of suspicion. So the most important thing is you're talking tough, and we appreciate that. Tough talk, uh, bring bring it back. Bring back stop, question, and frisk. Bring back plainclothes units to get these guns off the street, you know, and encourage proactive police work, not discourage it. Police officers are not scarecrows that are supposed to stand out on the street and just uh, and and not do their not do their jobs. They're supposed to do their jobs. This is the um, a, a, another report of of where the officer was um, was shot in the two five. It's going to play another uh, perspective on this. Um, told fortunately that officer is expected to make a full recovery and as police search for the person responsible our new city leaders are sending a strong message gun violence will not be tolerated in the city you don't start bringing in the new year with bringing in violence that's unacceptable Mayor Eric Adams and Police Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell pledging to tackle gun violence head-on in their first news conference together since being sworn in after an officer was struck by a bullet early this morning. There are no stray bullets. There is someone firing that weapon. Police say the officer was in his personal car parked in the lot at the 25 precinct along East 119th Street. He had just finished a New Year's Eve shift and was resting before his next tour. Around 6.15 a.m., he woke up to pain on the side of his head and his window shattered. You can see the bullet round in this photo released by the NYPD. An on-duty sergeant saw the officer getting out of his car with his head bleeding. He was rushed to New York Presbyterian Hospital. We are lucky, fortunate, and grateful on this New Year's Day. Doctors say after surgery, the seven-year veteran of the NYPD will make a full recovery. He was hit in the temple, and the bullet was deflected partly by the window or his skull. It missed vital structures by millimeters. No officers heard the gunshots, but they're canvassing the area for evidence that could lead to the shooter. Meantime, the PBA president calling this an opportunity to sit down with new city leadership. Sit down and have real discussions on how we can solve these problems, not only for my members, but for each and every one of you in the neighborhoods as well. We will find those who are carrying guns and we will make sure that they are removed off our streets. Police have not released the injured officer's name, but he was described as a married father of two. A $10,000 reward is being offered for any information that could help lead to an arrest. We're live in East Harlem. You know, again, a lot of tough, tough talk, and we appreciate that, and we hope that it is followed through with. However, the biggest tough talk is that the officers need to be backed up by the uh, administration. Yeah, for eight years, they had this clown de Blasio who was an anti-police mayor. I don't know how the powers that be, the police commissioner and the upper echelon of, of the NYPD worked with this guy because he was clearly anti-police. Um, the other thing that has to be tackled and has to be uh, changed is some of the things that were passed by the Albany, by the state legislature regarding police reform. Bail reform has to be changed. It has to be um Addended to the point where a judge can use his discretion when someone's arrested multiple times, say for a firearm, that person should not be getting bail. There is no way on this earth that that person should be getting bail. You know, and it's it's a mockery for justice. It's a mockery for people uh, that live in this city to be safe. And it's a mockery for police officers that arrest someone for a firearm. And then that same night, they're out, they're back out on the street. Just crazy. There needs to be mandatory, like Lieutenant Pete from uh, Harlem Raiders, Lieutenant Pete 3232 and street crime fame. There needs to be teeth in the law. And the problem with this is the politicians can talk all they want about being tough. But at the same time, we have a district attorney coming in who's saying he's not going to prosecute for numerous crimes. What message does that send? If you're not going to prosecute, for example, for low-level crimes, for you folks that don't know the history of New York City, 
and the history of broken windows policing and the history of Comstat, in 30 years, New York City lowered its crime rate for the seven major crimes, 70%, The new DA, someone's asking, is a guy named Bragg, who was a former U.S. attorney. He's coming in. He's a progressive. He's talking about uh, not prosecuting for this, not prosecuting for that. The new thing is treatment, something called diversion, where instead of people getting punished and going to jail or to prison, they put them in these programs, uh, drug rehab, psychological services. They, they pour the money into um, violence interrupters, uh, social workers, not police. The police in New York City, if you recall, has been defunded to the tune of $1 billion. You didn't notice that because they did a lot of um, sort of political moves. By One of the ways they saved a lot of money was from taking school safety and I believe the Department of Traffic out from under the police department's budget. So it didn't directly kill the police department too much. Uh, you know, Reigns, uh, you asked me to comment on um, on NYPD arresting kids at Applebee's as unvaccinated. Adams will keep mandates in place as well. Look, police have to do what they're told to do. They're ordered to do certain things. I'm sure members of the NYPD don't want to arrest people for being unvaccinated. I mean, but that's a political thing. If they're ordered to do that by the powers that be, they cannot refuse an order. An officer raises his right hand, takes an oath not to refuse any any lawful order. So if if an order is unlawful, yes, but... They must obey all lawful orders. So I, I, I'm sure most police officers uh, don't like the fact that they have to arrest people for um, for being unvaccinated. I find it ridiculous too. Um, you know, one of the things also is that Adams has sworn that um, he will not lock the city down regarding COVID. That he's going to keep the uh, keep the city open, uh, keep the schools open, and that that's a big thing too, because, uh, you know, he was on uh, George Snuffleupagus, the my favorite broadcaster, the other day, and I'm going to show a little bit of this, what he said to Mister Snuffleupagus here, and his name is actually Stephanopoulos. So ever since he did that that softball interview with Alec Baldwin, I call him George Snuffleupagus. That's what he deserves. Once again, New York City and the new mayor, Eric Adams, was sworn in from Times Square at the first moments of New Year's. He gave his inaugural address at noon. I chose Times Square as the site of my swearing in because I take this important office as a time of great challenges for our city. Despite COVID-19 and its persistence, New York is not closed. It is still open and alive because New Yorkers are more resilient than the pandemic. And Mayor Adams joins us now. Mayor, thank you for joining us this morning. Good, George. Good to see you. I know you were planning on riding a city bike in. Is that how you got here? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) Enjoy the ride. (laughs) I'm glad you did. Let's talk about uh, the challenges ahead for you right now. I know you said you wanted New York to be the center of the universe, not the center of the epidemic right now. Are you confident you can follow through on your pledge to keep the city up and running despite this surge in cases? Well, uh, COVID is a formidable opponent and it continues to evolve and we must pivot and evolve with it. Uh, But you can't do it viewing yourself from in the crisis. We have to see ourselves past the crisis. If we close down our city, it is as dangerous as COVID. That's what our focus must be. So that proper balance of safety, keeping our economy operated is going to allow us to get through. Nobody wants to close down, but right now the city's operating pretty much at half speed, according to the New York Times. Subway lines are closed. We have staffing shortages of fire and police. Testing centers are short on staff as well. How do we get back to normal? Can we get get back to normal with all these shortages? Well, you said something very interesting. Subway lines are closed, not the subway system. I took the train in on Saturday. So we are pivoting based on where the urgency is located. This is smart the way we're doing it. We're not taking a one size fits all. We're thinking about it, making the right moves and decision. I was with my police commissioner yesterday. We have a 20%, about a 20% 
sick rate. Now we have officers coming back after the five days. So we're doing an amazing job of shifting the way the virus is causing us to do so. New York's at the epicenter right now. How close are we to the peak? Don't know that. If I knew that, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> you know, I'm unclear, but we can't live through variants. We spent $11 trillion on COVID and we don't have another $11 trillion. So our lives can't be based on what's the new variant. No, we have to figure out how do we adjust. And I say to those who are not vaccinated, stop it. It's time to get vaccinated. It's time to have the booster shots. You're endangering yourselves and you're endangering the public and your family as well. New York City schools are gonna open this week. Talk to parents about what they can expect. What do you say to those parents who fear sending their children back? I say to them, fear not sending them back. The stats are clear. The safest place for children is inside the school. The numbers of transmissions are low. Your children is in a safe space to learn and continue to thrive. We lost almost two years of education. George, we can't do it again. And so I say to them, we're going to create a safe environment with testing. We're going to identify the children that, that are exposed. We're going to remove them from that environment. The numbers show the mere fact that a child is expo exposed in a classroom does not mean that an entire classroom is exposed. We just have to be smarter and thoughtful to keep our city safe and operating. Some cities like Boston are requiring tests before the students go back. Why not do that? It's a good idea. And I believe that the governor has the power to do mandatory testing. And I'm going to operate within the tools that I have available to me. And I think that would be a great idea. But unfortunately, the governor made the decision and I'm going to follow the governor. We're going to be partners on this to make sure we make our school system safe. You're keeping man, uh, Mayor de Blasio's mandate, vaccine mandate in place for private employers. Will you require teachers, police, police officers, other city workers to get a booster shot? That's our next move and decision. We're going to examine the numbers. If we feel we have to get to the place of making that mandatory, we're going to do that. But we're encouraging them to do it now. I took my booster shots, and every time I look at the numbers, I'm happy. And you know what the message is also, George? It's not only about is it going to prevent you from getting COVID? Because that's what people are saying. I got it and I had my booster shot. No, it's going to prevent you from dying. <laughs> it's going to alleviate the possibility of you being hospitalized, going on a ventilator. The goal is to build up your immune system and the booster shot is going to do that. The numbers are clear. Look at those who are not um, vaccinated, they're sky high. Numbers uh, who are, they are at a moderate level. That's what we must focus on. Your number one challenge during the campaign, your number one message during the campaign was <clears> to get <throat> crime under control. That was your number one promise, 500 murders in New York City in the last year. And the challenge you faced was pretty apparent on your first day. What, you had to make a 911 call from the subway over a fight. You had to pay a visit to a police officer who was shot. That's the personal touch. But what's the plan? Oh, we have a good plan. We have a good police commissioner. She's in now doing a real analysis to have the right balance because the balance is not just heavy-handed policing. It's public safety and justice. What we do uh, long-term and what we do right now, we're going to go after gangs. We're gonna, going to take down some of the large gangs in our city. Whenever you see a shooting takes pla take place, look at the next line, gang-related. We're going to zero in on gangs. We're going to reinstitute a plainclothes anti-gun unit and zero in on those guns. The other uh, two days ago, we took seven guns off the street in the Bronx with an amazing team of officers there. And so we're going to refocus on those who are carrying guns and violent crimes in our city and turn around the city. It's going to be a safe place. I say all the time, the prerequisite to prosperity is public safety and justice. My city is going to be safe. Let's talk. You know, uh, he talks a good game. He really does. He talks a good story. He's well rehearsed. But the point is, you don't think the uh, the prior administration, at least the police administration, knew what they were doing? They knew how to get guns off the street. You knew they knew how to uh, arrest gang members. Of course, they knew how to do this. This blueprint was put in play thirty years ago. The Compstat blueprint, the broken windows policing blueprint. Now they're not they're not reinventing the wheel. Trust me, but. When CompStat was first implemented in, in the 90s, everyone had to be on board, which means the district attorney's office had to be on board. Uh, parole had to be on board. Probation had to be on board. Rikers Island had to be on board to cooperate the, with the police in investigations. 
all arms of the Criminal Justice Bureau had to be on board. That's not the case right now. You have a district attorney who's already going in there, Alvin Bragg, saying he's not going to prosecute certain crimes. How do people get arrested for guns in this city and wind up back out on the street? That's not okay. He's not talking about that, though. He's talking about going after gangs. Yes, the prior administration did that, too. And they received a lot of grief for doing that. There was a case, I wish I had the video right now, uh, where the warrant squad was out on the street and they made a, a, um, an arrest, which was a beautiful textbook arrest. And the whole thing was videotaped. And you know, they were criticized by de Blasio. You cannot have a mayor like that, that criticizes the police for the work they do and have them still do that kind of work. It just it cannot happen. And, you know, he keeps talking about gangs. Yes, gangs are a big part of the gun problem and a big part of the shootings. Uh, this is what Eric Adams looked like when he was an NYPD captain, um, which, you know, let's face it, he was not a proactive officer. I think he made about 12 arrests in his entire career. and But he, however, he made it to captain, so he must be pretty smart. He passed three tests, right? Uh, he understands the inner workings of the NYPD. He understands the politics of the NYPD. Uh, he understands how the machine works. And as you could see, uh, he's been the Brooklyn Borough president for several years. So he has um, quite a bit of experience public speaking, quite a bit of experience dealing with the powers that be. Uh, quite a bit of experience dealing with the city council, knowing who his friends and who his enemies are. But now he also has to work with Albany, which has basically done a huge disservice to police in taking away many tools. These are some gang members that uh, have been arrested in gang takedowns. They have in several of the housing projects across the city. They've had entire gangs just take these housing projects over and just really cripple the residents. Uh, uh, Jimmy Emery, Adams, to his credit, is against illegals voting. Now, well, you know, something I think, uh, Jimmy, that's that would be ruled unconstitutional. A lot of these progressive morons, they don't know the law. Uh, I mean, if you ever saw uh, AOC, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, she's a lawmaker, but she has no clue about the law. And either do these city council people. Most of them are morons. They don't know the law whatsoever. And when, you, when they get questioned on the law, they like dribble on themselves, you know? A good example was that was with that was the diaphragm law. They had no idea what they were passing. Absolutely no idea how difficult it is for an officer to physically make an arrest, especially of someone that doesn't want to be handcuffed. And they took away, they made it a misdemeanor for a police officer to put his knee in the perpetrator's back. Just total, total lunacy. I wanted to speak about a couple of things that has been on my mind. Um, subway crime. Subway crime now is is epidemic. Uh, one of the big problems with subway crime is homeless people have just occupied the subways now like it's their second home. Well, it's their first home, actually. And the other thing is, is they took away the huge tool that officers had of arresting people for um, theft of service for jumping the turnstile. Now that's a civil matter. So let me explain to a lot of folks that aren't in policing. If someone jumps the turnstile and, um, and has, uh, someone jumps the turnstile and gets arrested, the, the officers can arrest them for theft of service misdemeanor. And based upon that, they have something called search incidental to lawful arrest. So what every good officer does once someone's arrested, they search you. Lo and behold, guess what officers were covering a great deal of, of off of turnstile jumpers? Guns, knives, illegal weapons. Uh, hello, Ruth Ann Griffin. Good to see you. I'm calling out to some people in the chat. Folks, I just want everyone to know this is um, really my first regular show of the year. I did a coffee with Cannon yesterday. But if you're new to the chat and you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on, on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We have a Patreon if you want to support us financially. There's three different tiers. Uh, 
for uh, five ninety nine a month, you can be uh, polish my rack. Uh, excuse me, you're the bucket for not uh, for six ninety nine a month. I believe you can polish my rack, and for nine ninety nine a month, you can be dipped in butter. We also have a YouTube membership, and uh, everyone who's in the chat that has that green font, you guys are members of, of our YouTube family, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And let me just get back to some of the things that needs to change under this new mayor. When I speak about the blueprint that the NYPD has, the NYPD drew up that blueprint in years and years of, of, of Comstat and broken windows policing. So they know how to do it. Uh, uh, time traveler, there's nothing in that bucket. Actually, there's $2.99 if you join the bucket. <laughs> That's what you'd pay us a month to be a member. Um, so that blueprint is very important because that blueprint um, enables uh, them to follow a blueprint of how to fight crime across the city because it's been done. And New York City didn't become the safest large city in, in, in the United States by resting on their laurels. They did it through stop, question, and frisk. They did it through aggressive um, investigations into gangs. They did into aggressive operations, into grand larceny teams, into grand larceny auto teams, into robbery teams. The follow-up investigations that precinct detective squads um, do after patrol, uniform officers, and now, hopefully, Adams is sincere about bringing back anti-crime. He mentioned bringing back uh, he he mentioned bringing back a plainclothes unit. Uh, a plainclothes unit to take guns off the street. Now we'll see if he actually means that. Will he do that? We'll see. We'll see if he does that. Uh, I'm hoping that he does. He talks a good story. Um, I'm going to bring up another thing where he talks about crime and, and how he's going to get tough on guns. And um, let me bring this little video up here. <laughs> Thank you. of a significant visit uh, for this historical journey than coming here to the 103rd precinct. You know my story, this is the precinct. I was arrested and beat as a child and to return here and address a roll call with a group of mainly young officers and send a very clear and loud message the commissioner and the deputy commissioner and I want to tell our police officers we have their backs. We have their backs to do their job. But there is a covenant that we are establishing. We're establishing this covenant where we would give them the tools and the support that they need but we are also going to hold them to a high standard. We are not allowing abusive officers to remain among our ranks. Not only was I a captain in the police department, but my brother was a sergeant and several of my first cousins followed me in. We know how difficult the job is. And we know there's a noise out there that you can't have public safety and justice. They are wrong. And we are going to prove them that they are wrong. The overwhelming number of New Yorkers, they want to see their police. They want their police to be part of their communities. The XO shared with us the amazing NCO officers and what is considered the 40 projects area and how well they are doing. That is the qualitative form of policing we are going to develop. We're going to incentivize promotions based on those officers that are not only good crime fighters, but good crime preventers, something you don't hear about often. But we also have this amazing partnership with the new councilwoman, Councilwoman Williams, who clearly will bring the balance in the conversation and make sure 
that we reach the standard that we're supposed to. So this councilwoman, unlike any other administration, my local elected officials will have their calls answered by city agencies. When this councilwoman calls this XO, this XO will get back to her. When this councilwoman calls the chancellor, his team will get back to her. I'm going to empower my local electeds because they're closest to the problems. Nothing personifies that more than the police and local electeds relationships and how we create the partnership that I talked about on the campaign trail. This is a great moment for our city. This is a pivotal moment for our city as we battle COVID, as we battle crime, as we battle economy, there are people who have given up on New York. So I, ha I have something for you. Don't ever count our city out. We're on our way back and we're back stronger, more equitable, and we're going to be a safe city to raise children and families. And so today is an important moment for me as I finally leave the demon right here on these streets, no longer living the trauma I experienced in this precinct, but back as the mayor in charge of the entire police department. And I made the right decision for a police commissioner. She made the right decision for a first deputy commissioner. And we're going to continue to build the right team to build that symbiotic relationship that all of us knew was possible. And we're going to reach the point to implement and carry it out. And so we have a lot of work to do. So we'll answer a few questions so we can get back to the job of making this city thrive again. So, folks, you see, um, he speaks well. He's got some good ideas. You know, uh, there were 10 um, there were ten Democratic candidates for mayor. and. Um, most of them were horrendous. I mean, he I'm not a big fan of Eric Adams, and I hope that he surprises me and really uh, makes me rethink who he is. But um, I think that, uh, you know, he, he look, the best way to, to judge someone is by their past behavior. Let's see what his future behavior is like. He talks a lot community policing. He talks a lot about getting tough on crime. He talks a lot about bringing the city back. This city never had to be brought back. The city was destroyed by a mayor that named de Blasio for eight years. Why would we have had to bring it back? And I'm not one of those people, and I'll, I'll say it right up front. I don't believe that crime has gone up because of COVID. I think that's total nonsense. I think that's a, a, a talking, a progressive talking point, and it's an, it's an excuse. I think crime has gone up in New York City because of bail reform because of the, the lack of support for the police about some of the other criminal justice reforms that Albany has enacted. That is the reason that crime has gone up in New York. It has nothing to do with COVID. If anything, less people are out on the street. There's less victims out there. So how is crime going up? And how about this? Also, de Blasio had the horrendous uh, Thrive New York, which was run by his wife, which dealt with the mentally ill. There's more mentally mentally ill people walking around New York City than ever before. I've never seen so many. And hand in hand with that goes most homeless people, in fact, are mentally ill or else they probably wouldn't be homeless. And I'm not saying all, but most. Homelessness is a problem of alcoholism, drug addiction, and mental illness. Those three things. I remember I said that one time on LinkedIn and I got attacked by some progressive that so disagreed with me. I said, yeah, I, uh, you know, I just did 27 years on the NYPD. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I've just picked that out of some uh, magazine, you know, so homelessness is a big problem, alcoholism, drug addiction, and mental illness. So that's what needs to be addressed with the homeless population. But the homeless population does not belong living on the streets or living in the subway. That's intolerable. And that has to be addressed right away. And I hope that he does address this. Uh, 
Lee Perry, uh, I'm just going to read what you shared. Yes, quiet hostility as it crossed the bear. He said he was arrested and beat up as a child, and now here he is. He's the, Well, he's the mayor. So uh, it just shows you the American dream is still alive. He started out as a police as a police officer, made it to the rank of captain, then became the Brooklyn Borough President, and now he's the mayor of New York City. The most the largest city in the world, you know, and he's uh he is now the mayor. So what does he have? What is there any beef he has with the system? He he made it pretty damn far, you know. And um we we, we want to know about I, I talked about the partnership in the within the criminal justice, uh the criminal justice business. For you to make a serious um decrease in crime, you have to have that engine hitting on all cylinders. And by that I mean you need the police department being focused and focused on certain problems. But with that focus, you need the district attorney's office to be on board. And clearly the district attorney has a different agenda than the NYPD. If he doesn't, if this new guy Alvin Bragg doesn't want to prosecute people for lower-level crimes, then how is the police department supposed to take a bite out of crime? Uh, it's it, it's really it's really ridiculous that you know. So if they, if they're going to talk about it, they really really need uh, they really really need to get on board with all the other entities of criminal justice parole. Uh, I've never seen so many during the last few years so many cop killers paroled from the New York State system by Andrew Cuomo. I mean, it, he seemed to take pleasure in releasing cop killers. Um, just, just incredible to me. Uh, you know, it, it's so when they talk about they're going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to um, they're going to drop crime this way and they got this plan and that plan. Look, the blueprint is there. You're not going to reinvent the wheel. The NYPD knows how to reduce crime. The NYPD knows how uh, to do police work. But they have to be backed up by the politicians. They have to be backed up uh, by the government. They have to be backed up by the community. They have to be backed up by the public. I mean, in the last few years, we saw what I would call as the uh, a war on police not just in New York City, but across the nation. I'm just going to show a quick uh, little video of the new police commissioner who what you, who was the Nassau County uh, chief of detectives. And we'll, we'll show a, a bit of this. Be on the screen and she'll, you'll, hear her, you'll hear her talk. Here we go. And as a mayor, I chose who I know is going to bring our city back and create an environment where we're going to raise healthy children and families. I'm so proud this day to tear down barriers. Mm -hmm. This amazing law enforcement professional, she carried with her throughout her career a sledgehammer, and she crushed every glass ceiling that was put in her way. And today, she has crashed and destroyed the final one we need in New York City. We have a strong, powerful new police commissioner, Chief Sewell. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Elect Adams. It is truly an honor to be here with you today. Your personal story and message motivates me as we endeavor to provide New Yorkers with the public safety they need and the justice they deserve. I stand here today because a man boldly and unapologetically made a decision well before his monumental and successful election. A decision that gave women in policing across this country an opportunity, not a favor, but a chance to work with him, the citizens, and the finest, most storied police department in the world to make New York City a safer city, a more inclusive city, where the community feels connected, 
heard, and served, no matter where they live or work. Queensbridge Houses is part of my story. I wish my parents were here to point out the building and the apartment where they began to give me a strong sense of purpose, commitment, and confidence. To all the little girls within the sound of my voice, there is nothing you can't do and no one you can't become. I want to thank my family and friends and pointedly the extraordinary men and women of the Nassau County Police Department who I have been fortunate enough to be inspired by, taught by, and served with for close to 25 years. You are exceptional and I am forever grateful. In this city, in this moment, I have come full circle and it is with a humble heart and clear eyes about the task and challenges ahead that I accept the position of New York City Police yeah. Commissioner. Oh, so she's, a, she's very well-spoken. She's very professional. She did uh, 20, a little less than 25 years on the Nassau County Police Department. Uh, she looks good. She, she speaks well. That's important. That's the kind of job that uh, you have to be constantly being able to speak to the public. Uh, let's see how well she does. Let's see. She can talk the talk. Let's see, let's see if she can walk the walk. When you heard her go to the stage, you could hear some of the agitators in the crowd saying, why are you bringing stop and frisk back? Well, because we would probably, um, we'd probably like to get guns off the street. Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, thank you, uh, Pete, for the $10 super chat. Thank you for all your support to police off the cuff in 2021, 2022. You're the man. I really appreciate you and Richella. Thank you so much. Um, Coach, last, someone wrote last final hope for New York City, Eric Adams. Look, I think that um, I want to see when the first, uh, you know, from a police perspective, I want to see how he backs the police up when something happens that uh, puts the police in a bad light. I want to see if he actually backs them up. Um, if you remember earlier in the de Blasio administration, he totally did not back the police up at all. And that's that's a disgrace. And we'll see. Uh, Ryan Investigative Group, the mayor and the prosecutors in the city have to support and encourage aggressive uh, enforcement for violent crimes. The governor has to get rid of bail reform. You know, Bill, I, I agree with you. I think that they, um, uh, they really have to get, if not get rid of bail reform, they have to amend it. And they have to put an amendment in bail reform where um, a judge, if he feels that the defendant before him does not qualify for bail, being that he's been arrested numerous times in the last uh, couple of months or couple of weeks, that the judge can remand them. That's not in the law. They also need to, um, to amend uh, discovery. That you know, we all know being in law enforcement what discovery is that the prosecution has to give the defense uh, all the paperwork and all the evidence they have going forward. And that I think has been a necessarily harsh thing for the uh, the district attorney's office to have to deal with. So it's uh, these are some of the things that that have to change. Some of you guys had just asked me before, um. Where's, where's Phil Grimaldi? And uh, I'm looking, uh, uh, today he was he, he couldn't make it at this time. And all of a sudden I look and here he is. There's, uh, there's, there's Phil Grimaldi. So he popped up out of nowhere. I don't know. He was uh, he's straight out of Brooklyn and uh, here is Phil showing up. Good to see you, Phil. How are you, Billy? I, I, you know, you caught me in the middle of, um, I was taking down some Christmas decorations and uh I just got done. I said, let me jump on because I really was interested in this topic that you were talking about. And uh, how, how, am I okay? You, can you see me in here? Oh, again? you look good and you sound good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, sit I'm sitting on the front porch. The the Christmas tree's up, you know, through the window. You could see it. We still keep that up till uh, till the 6th as uh, tradition holds. But uh, I started taking down some stuff when we talked earlier and uh, just getting done. So I figured I'd jump in. Where are we you know, in this conversation? You know, Philly, what Adams? we're talking about is basically, you know, he's uh, Eric Adams, we know, is a retired NYPD captain. He's talking a tough story on crime. Uh, we know that to be tough on crime, you have to have the support of the community. 
You have to have the support of the entire Criminal Justice Bureau. And at this time, I don't feel that we really have the support of the district attorney's office. This new DA is a progressive. He's already talking about not prosecuting certain low-level crimes. The whole way that broken windows policing works is to prosecute lower-level crimes. And if the DA doesn't cooperate, if the parole doesn't cooperate, probation doesn't cooperate, it can't work. You need the cooperation of the entire Criminal Justice Bureau. Billy, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually just had the same conversation with my brother earlier today. Uh, You know, he came out telling me, you know, it sounds like Adams is saying the right things, which he is because he was on a press conference yesterday and he said something that I thought really hit home. Uh, His statement was that we cannot allow, and I think this is verbatim what he said, we cannot allow people to walk into a store, take stuff off the shelf, put it in their pocket and leave without fear of prosecution or being even stopped. So that's that's where we're going to start. He seems like he wants to embrace the broken windows policy, which obviously worked in the past. It would work again. The only thing I'm concerned with, and I brought this point out to my brother, Nick, um, the progressive DA in Manhattan, Billy, you hit it. The first thing that he talked about, the first thing that he talked about was prosecuting and continuing to look into the Trump organization. That's what his uh, goal is. That what it, that's what his ambition is. I don't think he cares very much about the the uh, the goings on in, in uh, Manhattan, where he's the district attorney. Uh, he already said he's not going to prosecute low level crimes, misdemeanors, uh, disorderly conduct against police officers, resisting arrest. I could go on and on and on. We know what they all are. The lower uh, quality of life crimes. I mean, if an, if an officer does a car stop. And during that car stop, he's assaulted. He's not going to, uh, I'm sorry, if he's uh, resisted, if, if uh, uh, an arrest situation f- starts out as a car stop and it goes to an arrest situation, and if the person resists, they're not going to charge resisting arrest based on a violation. Now, I, I think I broke that down pretty quickly. It's a little bit more entailed than that. But basically, if the interaction with the police starts as a violation, which a car stop would be, moving violation, could be a parking ticket, whatever, and they resist arrest, he's not going to charge the resisting arrest. Now, what kind of uh, policy is that? What kind of backing is that with the police officers that are out there throwing on the uniform every day, putting on a bulletproof vest, strapping on a gun belt and being abused, being shot at? We just had officers shot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think we've already really uh, visited that. So I think he's sending the wrong message that uh, that D.A. Bragg and, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, uh, an ex-police captain that knows the ins and outs of the police department. He spent many years on. I think he's well versed in policing and I think he has the ability. He has the tools. I think if he gets behind the membership, I don't think the membership needs to get behind him. I think all the officers on the job He's got to get behind them and show them he's going to back them. And then if you have a district attorney's office that's going to back the police department and the police commissioner, then things may turn around. You know, the other thing is that uh, we know, because we did so many years on the police department, this is a very young police department. Many of the best and most experienced veterans have retired because of uh, maybe a lot of it was intolerable policies that they were forced to work under. Uh, the eight years of de Blasio that uh, saw the city go from the safest large city in the nation to what it is today. And, you know, you see the homeless population on the street. Like, how is that allowed? Isn't that when a society loses its citizenry? Like, how is someone that goes to work every day, does the right thing, pays taxes, follows the laws, how are they... supposed to go on the subway and not be able to get a seat because five homeless people are living in the car that they're trying to travel to work in. How is it okay to pitch a tent on the malls of Broadway on the Upper West Side? How is that okay? How is that allowed? I mean, we're seeing this in other other cities across the nation. Uh, San Francisco, of course, is one. You know, LA. How are those things allowed? How does a society allow that type of thing? How do you take the tools away? that police officers need to enforce the law? How do you take those tools away from them? Disorderly conduct. I can't even imagine what constitutes disorderly conduct these days. You know, what are, you, what are, are they even allowed to use that um, 
that violation disorderly conduct? Are they? I don't know. I, I, it's been a long time. But it would seem not because that was a tool that was used as almost as a last resort when someone got really disorderly, someone got in your face, someone started uh, cursing. You know, uh, those. I was a tool that was very important to police officers. I don't know if they, in fact, have that anymore. Well, you know, Bill, uh, you brought up something about the, the the subway system in the beginning of your last statement. Um, you know, if you get into a, a subway car now, I was a transit cop in 1982. Uh, I feel like what happened in 82 is going on today where the homeless have taken over the subway system. Now, I've been on subway cars where I went walking through the train, walking from one subway car to the next. And the minute I opened the door, the smell, the stench hit me in the face so hard. It actually made my eyes tear. You actually could not be in the same subway car as that homeless person that obviously had psychological issues. They hadn't bathed in God knows how long. So now you have people that are trying to get to work. We're, we're going through a pandemic. Bad enough you have the worry of uh, COVID uh, lurking on your shoulder. You have to wear a mask. You have to be vaccinated. Uh, you, you, you know, somebody sneezes, you got to run. Uh, there's all these different things we have to worry about. And now you have quality of life is like at zero right now in New York City, especially in the subway system. So I think those things need to be addressed, obviously, Billy. Um, you know, uh, the, the things that are going on in the city today, we saw them once before. We figured out how to fix them. We can do it again. We just need to implement the right uh, policies, the right practices, and we need to let the police officers do their job. We need to back the people in the uh, back the police officers in the city, in the department, and we need to back the police commissioner. We need to back the mayor, and we need the district attorney's office to be on board as well. I'm going to stress that as much as I can. You know, it's uh, I, I mentioned before, like a big thing is, is that they also took away the tool that officers used um, to make an arrest for jumping the turnstiles, uh, which used to be uh, a misdemeanor. It was a uh, theft of service misdemeanor. Now it's a civil matter. And, you know, you folks in the chat, we are not um, callous towards homeless people. Believe me, we, we have helped hundreds, thousands of homeless people in our police careers. However... Homeless people do not belong living on subways. They just do not. That's it's a it's a public uh, health problem. It's a dangerous problem, and you know they need counseling. They need mental health uh, counseling. They need maybe alcohol, drug counseling, and they need a place to live. You know, and the the place to live is not the subway. You know, and I the big problem, the catch twenty two, is that a lot of the shelters in New York City. You speak to any homeless people, they say they're dangerous. They don't want to be there. And, you know, obviously they're probably telling the truth. But how how safer is, is living on a subway car? It can't be very safe. You know, Billy, when you have people that are obviously uh, with psychological issues, mental health issues, and then you add the component of possibly drug issues, and then you just take general physical health. We're in a pandemic. Now, you have these people that they're mentally unstable. They're physically uh, maybe uh, addicted to drugs, and then they're also physically not healthy because of, let's say, uh, they could have underlying conditions or even COVID. Now, you put all of those components together, and then you throw it into the subway system, and this is why people are being thrown onto the tracks. This is why people are being slashed. You know, uh, if they get to the point where they're living in the subway for a long period of time, when you come into their space, you're actually violating their personal space in their minds. You know what I mean? So this is how these, uh, you could just walk by a person and stop to, uh, you know, look at your cell phone. And now that person takes it as, you know, being obviously mentally, uh, unstable. They take it as you're invading their personal space and they lash out. And this is how all of these things are happening. These aren't problems that are too hard to figure out. They're, they're difficult at the face, obviously, but they're not that hard to figure out. I think that uh, with the right leadership, and I'm really hoping and praying that uh, Eric Adams can do that, that we could take back our city and have a safe place to go out with our families and our friends, go to lunch, go to dinner, go to work, go do whatever it is you do in New York City and be safe and be comfortable and not have to look over your shoulder. We had a really long period of time. I felt very comfortable taking my family into Times Square and doing all the different things that we did over the years and going to see the Christmas tree at Christmas time and going into the city just to 
have a dinner and, and see a show. I don't feel comfortable doing that anymore, Billy. And it's really a shame because we have, you know, they call uh, New York City the the, uh, the mecca of the world, uh, the heart of the world, or whatever you want to call it. It's 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 New York. It's, it's Times Square, and it and it's uh, it's a, it's something that is really enjoyable. Uh, it's something that it's precious, and we're we're letting it just slip back to the seventies and the eighties, and and uh, you know, pimps and prostitutes and and. And, and drugs and, and homelessness. And we really could turn it around. And I think we're going to. I just hope that, uh, you know, it's only a day or two. Obviously, we can't rate what the mayor's done so far. It's only a day or two. But let's give him our support. Let's try and get behind him. He gets behind us. And hopefully, we can uh, turn things around. 100%. Michael Mar- Marcus Silly, thank you so much for the $5 super chat. He says, always a great show. Thank you for your uh, support. You know, Phil, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, just think of the amount of mentally ill people in the subway, and you mentioned people getting pushed on the tracks. You get pushed on the tracks, and the train is coming. You are dead. You're a dead person. I, I, keeping that in mind, this is a a stabbing that occurred on the subway by a homeless person. Uh, not even homeless, a mentally ill person. He's the hero who rushed in to stop a violent subway attack. The moment I saw the knife, I decided to run to that spot. The attack happened just after 10 p.m. at the Union Square substation, one of the busiest hubs for commuters and tourists in New York City. Surveillance video shows the suspect approaching the woman before grabbing her and pulling her from the edge of the platform. Her scream was alarming enough. It was a, a, a terror. The Good Samaritan, Sean Conaboy, says the attacker quickly began slashing his 54-year-old victim. You can then see Conaboy rush in. He tackles the attacker as others join to help him hold him down until police arrive. I knew enough to know that as long as I keep him in front of me, down, face down on the platform, he's going to have a much harder time turning the knife on me. Conaboy is thankful he could help, but he says he worries about a recent spike in violence on the country's largest subway system. If it can happen to her, it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. Victim in this case was taken to the hospital to expect. You know, Phil, we covered that story, as you remember, and that guy oh, was, uh, what a, what an amazing guy. And, that's you know, cool. he got almost, other than the TV, um, the TV people, pointing out what he did almost no one else in the government uh you know thanked him for for what he did and, and it was amazing amount of valor he saved that woman's life absolutely and, and i'm calling out the mayor right now and we said it before and i'm going to say it right now to the new mayor eric adams honor him give him the key to the city he did something that uh not very many people are capable of doing or would do and he saved that woman's life. And I think that, uh, listen, I don't want vigilante justice out in the street. I don't want people taking matters into their own hands. But in that specific instant, that second, he probably saved that woman from uh, being killed or, or very seriously injured. He needs to be recognized. This is the people that we need to recognize uh, in, this, in, in 2022. And uh, I just hope that uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, if he's listening to this or he sees this or someone can get to him, let's start off the new year right. Let's honor a guy like that. I don't think he got much recognition recognition at all, Billy, and you're 100% right about that. We had him on our show. We tried to get the message out. He was a true hero. And just one real quick thing about the homeless. A lot of the anti-Asian attacks have been occurring. There's been an uptick in anti-Asian attacks. I think the majority of them, I don't know the exact statistics, but a majority of them were people who were homeless or mentally ill. And again, now we have a separate problem where Asian people are being targeted. Uh, whether it's got to do with the coronavirus or not is really not what I'm getting at. The point is we need to help these people that are on the street. Uh, there's just too many of them. They need help. And uh, Homeless Outreach was a great program. They kind of scaled it back. I hope that the, the new mayor will, uh, will institute it and, and rev it up a little bit and start getting these people the help that they need. 100%. You know, folks, uh, again, if you're in the chat and you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, ring my bell, ring my bell, you know, ring that bell. And also you can join our Patreon or our YouTube. Uh, look, Eric Adams, uh, we're hoping, we're hoping the best. We're rooting for the guy. I'm certainly rooting for the guy because I love New York City. 
you know, and I want to be able to go into New York City and feel safe. I want my wife to be able to go into New York City and feel safe. I want my son and his his uh, girlfriend that live in the city to be safe when they uh, ride on these subways. But you have to let the police do their job. And uh, yeah, uh, twin, justice should be a mandate. Justice, yeah, but also p- public safety should be a mandate. And that's what we're we're all about. We're all about public safety. And that's what really should be a mandate is that people should be able to go about their life and be safe and not have to fear being attacked or being pushed onto the tracks of a subway station by some, uh, we used to refer to them as EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons. Uh, so that's that's the most important thing. So folks, uh, you know, this was sort of a spur of the moment show. I decided to do a show because I saw that Eric Adams is out there and about and talking and we got a new mayor. And uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me today in the chat, joining the show, and supporting Police Off the Cuff. Philly, last words? Last words. Um, listen, we're in a very difficult time right now. I couldn't wait for 2021 to be over because there was just so many bad things that happened. But I'm looking forward. I'm being optimistic. 2022 didn't start out so great, but I think we have a chance to really turn things around. We have a new leash. We got rid of Bozo the Clown that was in City Hall for the last eight years. Uh, Eric Adams, like I said, he has the, uh, the ability. He has the tools. They're right at his fingertips. Uh, let's hope that he can do things to turn the city around. And in generally, uh, with the COVID, we're going to go through a tough time for the next week or two this time. Let's get through that. Uh, everybody stay healthy. I just want to give one quick plug. There's a new show that's on television from the former chief of detectives. Obviously, Bill, you know, uh, Bob Boyce is called uh, New York Homicide. There's an episode that's going to be coming up in where I did a segment in it. Uh, I don't know the date yet, but when it comes, uh, I will uh, definitely announce it on the show. It appears on the Oxygen Network on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Minute. He plays a bunch of times. It's sort of like the perfect murder. It's very similar. I don't know. Did you catch it last night, Phil? No, I didn't uh, get a chance to catch it. it. It was guys that you would know. It was a case from Manhattan. I'm sure you know uh, the players involved. But, uh, yeah, look out for that. And, uh, again, guys, just everybody stay safe. Keep your chin up. Uh, stay healthy. And uh, let's keep, uh, you know, positive. Let's stay positive in this crazy time. Folks, Thank you much, so much for supporting Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. On behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi, have a great night. Good night, everybody, and stay safe. One episode, just ain't enough.